Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Good morning, church. Well, it is good to be back. Um, But before I move into my message today, I just want to take a moment to just say thank you to the many of you who have loved and served my family over the past couple of months. Uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, on Easter Sunday, I got a call informing me that my dad had been in an accident and uh, was on life support, and so I made an emergency trip to the United States where they live and uh, managed to arrive about 24 hours before he passed away. And um, as you can imagine, this was quite a shock to the system. Um, I love my dad. We had a great relationship. Uh, He was my number one encourager and supporter, and um, one of my highlights of my week each week was our, my Sunday night FaceTime phone calls with my parents. And so, uh, you know, my family, as you can imagine, has just really been deeply grieving over the last couple of months. But that's why it was so significant the way that you all as a church, um, uh, whether you're here in person or watching online, just reached out to our family and loved us and supported us and uh, just stood by us in the midst of a really challenging time. I mean, you guys sent texts, you sent messages and emails and, and uh, notes, and, and you served my family, especially in the time, well, you know, a couple of weeks before my family was able to join me in the States for the funeral. Uh, you guys really served our family with just in lots of real practical ways. And if you're serving my family, man, there's nothing that blesses me more than that. And uh, I know a lot of you prayed as well. You prayed your hearts out uh, for, for my dad. You prayed for me. You prayed for my family and our journeys to and from. Lauren had to, had to take all four kids, including uh, four-year-old Nate, on a journey by herself to the States, which, as you can imagine, is challenging the best of times, and it's extra challenging when you've got a four-year-old wearing a mask all that way. And so uh, you guys prayed, and we really felt the impact of those prayers. You know, we say a lot that the church is a family, and I think what was so actually one of the, the, the beautiful things that for me about the last couple of months was getting to experience you all in a way I've never, I, I mean, I've experienced this before, but in a much more deep way, I experienced church as family. So for all the things that you guys did, church, in big ways and in little ways, the way you loved us and cared for us, I just want to say thank you. We feel loved. I feel loved. My family feels so loved by you guys, and we are just so thankful for our church community. Now, as I was thinking about uh, what I wanted to share with you today, I I just wanted to kind of share a more personal message in light of all that's happened over the last few months, because as you can imagine, it it has been like, it feels like years since uh, Easter Sunday to me. But but I want to take you into some of what God has been teaching me and showing me uh, over the last few months in the hopes that, that you can apply it to your own situations. Because, you know, we're all going to intersect with death at some point in life, whether it's our own death or the death of loved ones, or, or maybe we're going to intersect. We, we also can say that we, all, we will all intersect with loss, significant loss, whether it's the loss of a job, the loss of a marriage, the loss of a child, whatever it is that, that, that um, you encounter, we all experience loss and grief in our life. And I I realize that this is a heavy subject matter. You know, 
we come to church to be encouraged and, 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 and stir it up, and, and that's a good thing. But, but I think, um, you know, you may not really want to go there this morning, but I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a verse in the book of Ecclesiastes. Maybe uh, you haven't read the book of Ecclesiastes lately, but there's this really, frankly, irritating verse in there. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2, it says this, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. <laughs> I haven't seen that verse on too many uh, inspirational verse of the day. That, you know, It's not sewed on too many pillows or, or put in posters or anything like that. It's not, you know, who wants to go to a house of mourning instead of a house of feasting? I mean, not me. But this was written by Solomon, who is, has this legendary wisdom from God. So, so why would he write this? Why, why would he encourage us to go to a house of mourning instead of a house of feasting? Well, he explains it in the second half of the verse. He says this. He says, for death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. So Solomon is saying that that, that we need to live our lives in the light of eternity. You know, we can so easily become preoccupied with the things of this world, you know, our jobs, our relationships, our families, politics, sports, entertainment, all these different things that, that preoccupy us and consume our attention. And, and we can kind of get, uh, our focus becomes narrowed on the things of this world. And, and what Solomon is saying is that by going to the house of mourning, it, it it's like medicine for the soul that reminds us that, that death comes for us all, that, that death is going to intersect our lives at some point. And so we, are, we, we need to be living our lives in the light of eternity because in the light of eternity, this life is just a passing moment. And so it's good to be reminded to, at times, when, when, when other people are, are encountering their own loss, I mean, you going and being with them not only helps comfort them and support them, but it also helps remind your soul of the eternity that awaits us all. So this morning, I, I wanted to invite you into my own house of mourning. Doesn't that sound like fun? Aren't you excited? Yay. All right. I knew you would be. But I think it's important for us to, to, to actually go there because, as I said, you know, these have been really, really challenging couple of months for me, and I've had to walk with God through it. And, and I can just say, God has been present, and maybe not in ways that I always anticipated or expected, but, but God's presence and God's uh, a nearness to me and to my family in the midst of all this is so precious. And I feel like these that the things that you learn in those moments are, are irreplaceable, and I feel it'd be remiss of me as a pastor not to, to share those with you, because we're all going to face loss, as I said. And, and in real Christianity, there is loss. And of course, you know, there, there are certainly times of breakthrough and victory and rejoicing, and we all love those times. But we're also going to face times of hardship, times of pain, times of sorrow, times of, of heartbreak, times of perplexity and not understanding. Christianity isn't our get-out-of-jail-free card for suffering. Jesus said that in this world you will have trouble. 
So we need to know how to handle it when the hard times come, so that, and we need to know how to find God in it. Otherwise, those times, they can shipwreck our faith. So, as I look back over the last few months, there's three things I want to share with you that really stand out to me. And the first is this. We live in the now and the not yet. We as Christians have this tension that we live in, where we live in the now and the not yet. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think we have and do experience as believers some aspects of the kingdom of God in this life. You know, that, that, that includes things like our salvation. That includes uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. That includes the gifts, experiencing the gifts of the Spirit and the, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That includes, like, you know, God leading us and guiding us and directing us. So, a lot, of, we experience a lot of the kingdom of God internally as our character is transformed and we become like Jesus. And sometimes we experience the kingdom of God externally, where, where we see the power of God made manifest. We see signs and wonders and miracles, and, and we love those moments. But we don't experience the fullness of the kingdom of God yet, because we live in a fallen world. Now, that might sound like an obvious statement to some of you, but, but if you read through what Jesus says about the kingdom of God, as you read through the Gospels, he talks about the kingdom a lot. He sends his disciples out and says, go and announce that the kingdom is coming. And, and when you read through those statements, it's, it's a bit confusing because sometimes it sounds like the kingdom has come when Jesus stepped onto the scene, that the, the kingdom of God had arrived. And other times it sounds like the kingdom would be coming in the future. And so there's this tension, and, and you kind of are like, well, what is it? Is the kingdom already come? Are we still waiting? And I think that, that this phrase, if we live in the now and the not yet, is the best way to understand it. So we believe that, that God's kingdom is coming now, that, that God's kingdom is manifest through our lives, and we're taught Jesus instructed us to contend for the kingdom of God. He taught us in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have a role in ushering in the kingdom of God into this world. But nobody sees the kingdom of God happening in its fullness because we live in a fallen world. We experience the fullness of it when we enter into heaven. That's when we will enter the fullness of the kingdom. So there's this kind of tension that we experience. I was feeling this tension as I was on my flight back to America because I knew that that I would arrive from this 14-hour journey and, and uh, go to the ICU, the hospital where my, where my father was, where my family was. And, and man, I wanted to see God break through. I wanted him to heal my dad. I wanted this to have a happy ending. And so I arrived and went to the hospital, and, and my family was really gracious. They gave me, when I arrived, they said, you want some time alone with that? I said, yes, I do. And so, so they left, and I prayed my heart out. I prayed the best way I knew how to pray. And there was no response. And that is where the obvious question comes up, the, the why question. You know, why? 
Why, why didn't God heal my dad? Why, if, if God heals today, and, and I, I know people that have been healed, one of my good friends, one of the reasons I'm a believer today is because one of my good friends was dramatically and miraculously healed. And, and many of you have your own stories being healed personally or know somebody who has. We've all heard those stories, and we all want to see them happen, especially when it comes to our loved ones. And, and so we start to ask the question, why? You know, why, God? Why didn't you heal? Why? You know, there's just this this question that rises up in us whenever we face loss. And certainly that was one of my questions in that moment. But here's the danger of the why question. If we had, you know, if, if we had an answer for the why question, you know, if God came along, if, if we hold out for an answer, if we demand that God tell us why he, he didn't do what we wanted him to do, then we risk becoming offended at God and closing our hearts off to Him. And that's the last thing we need in that situation when we're encountering deep grief and pain and sorrow. Uh, the author John Eldridge uh, says it this way, that, that when, you're at, when you get to the why question, he says, you can pursue God or you can pursue understanding, but you can't pursue both. You can pursue God or you can pursue understanding, but you can't pursue both. Now, obviously, this is talking specifically about when you're in that place of loss and, and, and in that place of you're asking, why, God? Why hasn't this happened? Obviously, at other times, you can pursue understanding and you can pursue God at the same time. But, but in these situations, you kind of have to choose one or the other. Because what happens is, is, is if we can, we can choose God and we can receive his comfort, we can receive his compassion, we can uh, experience his understanding, he's, he knows what it means to grieve. Or we can pursue understanding, we can, we can demand answers from God. Why God? Why did you not do this? Or why did this happen? Or, you know, all the why questions that surface. And what happens is when we start chasing understanding, when we start demanding an answer to the why question, that's when we, that's when it's like we, we get offended at God and we're, we're holding him at arm's length and, and demanding that he give us an answer before we allow comfort or before we allow his presence back into our lives. You see what I'm saying there? That's what offense does, is it holds him at, at arm's length. And so we have to be really careful with this question. And, and besides, you know, what answer can God give you in that situation that's just going to make that okay? What, what is he going to say to you that's like, oh, well, in that case, it's all okay. Now, Actually, I believe that one day we will see this situation from God's perspective and we will be able to say, hey, God was good. He was, he was, he, his plans, even though I couldn't see it at the time, he knew what he was doing. But in this moment, God doesn't often give us, in this, especially when you're in that place of grief and loss, God doesn't often tell you why. He simply asks us to trust him, to trust in his goodness to trust in his love, to trust that he loved that person more than you love that person. He asks you to trust in his, in, in his sovereignty, in his character. He asks us to trust, and that is one of the, the greatest acts of faith that you will ever do, is when you encounter those places of loss and sorrow to say, God, I don't understand, but I trust you anyway. Those are the most remarkable moments of faith that I see as a pastor. When people choose to trust God, even in that place of questioning, it doesn't mean you don't have questions. 
It doesn't mean you don't have, have sorrow or grief, but, but there's this place of just surrender and saying, God, I need, I need you more than I need understanding. And that's what we need is we need God in those moments. We need his comfort. We need his compassion. We need his, his grace and his peace to flood us in those moments to carry us through those seasons of pain in our lives. And this is such an important point because I, I'm convinced that one of the greatest causes of atheism in the world today is people that have had unanswered prayer for whatever reason. They've experienced trauma. They prayed for their, their loved one, and, and, and th that person didn't recover or is continuing to suffer or whatever the case may be, and, and, and God hasn't come through for them in the way that they hoped he would, and in their offense at that and in their rage about that, they, they push God away. They say, well, if God doesn't answer my prayer, if, he doesn't, if he's sovereign, if he's really all-powerful, and he didn't do anything for my loved one, then he must not exist. And the journey of faith, church, is to say, hey, I, I, I don't know the answers, but I trust that God is bigger than me. He sees, the whole, that he sees the whole landscape that I don't see. I only see a narrow little window of it, and I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to trust that he is good, even in this challenging season. So living in the now and the not yet, it requires us, you know, it brings up the why question, and it requires us to trust God deeply. Now, the second observation I, I want to make is that we were not created for death. Um, what do I mean by that? You know, when I, when I was in the, the hospital room with my dad, and, and he just passed away, and I was just you know, I, I've been there in that situation only once before, and, and actually, you know, it's just very jarring. You know, it, it just seems, it seems undignified. It seems like uh, it's incomprehensible. I mean, even now, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around this new reality that I'm living in where, where I'm not going to be able to call my dad tonight or, or have a conversation with him anymore, where I'm not going to be able to talk to him about, about flying and his days in the Air Force or watch him play with, with my kids. I mean, that, that is still hard for me to wrap my head around, and I realize part of grief is, you know, the denial, shock phase, and I'm sure that's part of it for me, but, but I think there's a deeper reason why death is so jarring, and, and I think it's because it wasn't supposed to be this way. Think about it. When we read the first three chapters of Genesis, and we read about God creating the heavens and the earth, death was not a part of the equation. Death was not a part of the original uh, founding order of the world. There was a time on earth when there was no death. Now, that's hard for us to understand because it's all we've ever known. But there, there was a time when death didn't exist. And remember what God said to Adam. He said, hey, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat it, you will die. So he warns them. And you know the story, Adam and Eve, they take the fruit, they eat it, and death enters the world. It's, it's sin that ushers death into the world. And so when we encounter death, there's something deep within us that I think there's this distant memory that, that we have as humanity that, that just says, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be cut off from my loved one like this. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And we're right. God didn't create us to die. It's a, it's a malfunction. It's, it's part of living in a fallen world. And listen, God hates death. And we know this because of that story that Stephen read so well for us today, 
that the story of Lazarus, I mean, it is one example where we, where we hear about this, where we see God's hatred of death. And, and so I just want to go back into that story of Lazarus because there's some really interesting things that you see in the emotions of Jesus. You know, we, we read about Jesus and we kind of think of him as like this neutral character. We don't think about his emotions very often, but in this story, you get the emotion of Jesus and you get his emotion, you know, it talks about him loving Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were his friends and, and, and you see his anger and you see his sorrow and you see his kind of um, authority rising into the, to the situation. And, and so just to qu- quickly recap, you know, Jesus is, he he's loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and he gets word that Lazarus is really sick. He's probably going to die. Jesus, would you come quickly? Would you heal him? Everybody knows the stories that Jesus has been performing all these miracles. So Jesus, come quickly. Jesus does nothing. He stays where he is. He does not go to his friends. This is baffling to everybody. And then he waits until Lazarus has died and then says, all right, now we'll go. And everyone's like, well, why? Why are we doing this? And why, why wait until now? And when he gets there, Martha comes out and greets him and says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would have lived. And he says that famous line to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And they're kind of like, huh, right. Uh, yeah, I know he's going to rise on the last day. And and so there's this confusion, and then, and then, and then he, he, Martha goes back and tells Mary. Mary comes out to see Jesus, and we'll pick up the story there. It says, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. She's asking the why question. Why didn't you come? And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Why is he angry? Have you ever noticed this little detail as you read through the story? Why, why is, is he angry at Mary? Like, you know, is he mad at her because she asked the why question? Is he mad at all the people that are making all this racket around him that are, that are grieving and wailing? You know, are they, making him, are they making too much noise? Is he just like, just quiet down, people. You're giving me a headache. This is just, uh, you guys, don't be so emotional. Just keep calm and carry on. I mean, is he, is he mad at them because they're upset? No. Jesus is not angry at Mary. He's not angry at Martha. He's not angry at the people who are grieving and mourning. Jesus is angry at death. And that word that's translated deep anger in this uh, translation, the, the literal definition of it is snort like an angry horse. Now, I've never been snorted at by an angry horse before, but I'm pretty sure I don't want that experience. I think that would be pretty frightening, you know, if that massive beast is snorting at you and is angry. Like, I think I'm going to be pretty frightened by that. But Jesus, I mean, he, John is telling us this because Jesus was angry. He was really ticked off because he hates death. He hates all the pain and all the difficulty and all the, you know, the, the, think about it, all the orphan children that have happened over the years because parents have died in childbirth or, or the, you know, the loved ones, spouses who have lost their, their wives or parents who have lost their children. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Jesus hates the loss. He hates the pain that death has inflicted on the human race. And that makes sense, doesn't it? 
Because Jesus is the author of life. He created life, and he created this planet to to experience life and not death, and and death is an assault on all that he loves. Now, we don't think about it this way because, you know, death is just a part of our existence, but Jesus, like I said, he understood what the world was like before death entered it, and he sees death as his enemy, And Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Wow, such an amazing thought. And and in in Revelation, we're told that, that death is cast into the lake of fire. That's the last thing to go, and then there is no more death. What an amazing thing. So, so death is an enemy of God, and Christ himself, he's going to destroy it. And this is part of the reason that he went to the cross, to make this whole thing possible, to destroy death, to undo the work of death in the world. He went to the cross and suffered and died so that we could one day experience the kingdom of God in its fullness without any death. That's an amazing thing. So that's what he was angry about. He's angry at death, and so he, he takes action. In verse 34, it says, So where have you put him? And they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Now this fascinates me, because we're already told earlier in the story that Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew what the plan was. He knew that this was just a temporary situation that Lazarus would soon be uh, back, to, back to normal. He'd be up and about. He knew what was going to happen. So, but, but yet, he gets to this situation and he weeps. And it wasn't just a little, like, you know, dignified, you know, single teardrop. I mean, it says the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Why would they say? Why would they say that? Is it because they, like, you know Jesus gets a little choked up, little little misty eyed? No, no, he's he's crying, he's wailing, he's upset. There is grief that he is experiencing, and I think this is so encouraging to, for those who are grieving. Or just hang on to this because whenever you're in that place of grief, I want you to remember this: Jesus knows what it's like to grieve. Uh, Isaiah 53.3 says that he was a man of sorrow acquainted with deepest grief. Jesus is acquainted with deepest grief. How does that work when you're, when you're God-made flesh? I don't know, but what we do know is that Jesus is grieving here. And Jesus was acquainted with his deepest grief. And, and, and there's, I, I think it's just incredible to me that there's this compassion and this understanding. I think, again, he's, it's not so much about Lazarus, or it's partially about Lazarus, but I think it's more like he's weeping over the pain that death has inflicted on the human race. So John continues in verse 38. He says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Now, just as a side note here, um, I heard somebody say this once. It always made me laugh. The King James translation of this verse say, but Lord, he stinketh. 
I think stinketh is an awesome word. I'm a little sad it's fallen out of common usage because wouldn't it be great to say to that person with coffee breath, hey, your breath stinketh. (laughs) Or if I come in from a workout, Lauren could say to me, Todd, you need to take a shower, you stinketh, you know? I'm a little sad that we don't use that word anymore. But but Martha is saying, Jesus, (laughs) Jesus, you had your chance, but now my brother, he stinketh. Not even you can overcome four days of decomposition. But look at how Jesus responds. There's no rebuke. There's no anger towards Martha. Instead, he he just, or towards Mary, he, he just responds to her and reminds her of what he promised earlier. He says, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? It's such a gentle response. He's like, he doesn't rebuke her. How can you doubt me? Or, you know, he's, he's not, doesn't say anything. He just says, look, I, I promised you, you would see God's glory. Just believe me. Trust me. Trust me. Even in your why question, I want you to trust me. So she must have said yes. And um, <laughs> given permission to open the tomb. And so it tells us in verse 41 that they rolled the stone aside And then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. So he's kind of saying this prayer out loud for the benefit of everybody. He doesn't really need to say this. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And that word that's translated shouted there is the same word that John used to describe that ferocious storm that happened on the Sea of Galilee earlier in the Gospel of John. It says that the winds were howling, and there was this loud, loud noise that was happening. And this is the same word here. that They're rendering shouted here. Other word translations say he said in a loud voice, but really it's just just this command of authority. And something about the way Jesus said it reminded John of the power of that storm. And just imagine being there in that moment to have heard the the authority in Jesus's voice, the mightiness in his voice, as he commanded, commanded Lazarus to come out of that tomb. He doesn't just command him to come out, he's commanding him back to life. This is the voice of God speaking against death. Death was overcome and just you know, the rest of the story, the dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes. His face was wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. And many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Well, I should say so. <laughs> I mean, I should say so. Can you imagine the celebration in this moment? Can you imagine the astonishment and the rejoicing? Here's this man kind of waddling out in his grave clothes, and, and he'd been dead for four days, and now he's alive again, and, and he doesn't stinketh. I mean, wow, this is an, an incredible moment. And what's so encouraging about this to us is that, you know, every miracle I believe that we read about in the Gospels, they show us something about what the kingdom of God is like. And this is a This is a prophetic picture of what happens to all followers of Jesus when we die. Because on that day, we're going to step from the darkness of this world into into the light of life. And, And there's going to be great rejoicing and great celebration and praise to Jesus as we encounter our Savior 
for the first time. Can you imagine what that day is going to be like? I, I often think about it in worship that one day I'm going to be face to face with Jesus. Probably won't be face to face for very long because I'm going to fall on my face in gratitude and in wonder and in awe of who he is. And on that day, there's not going to be any more pain, no more doubts, no more questioning, no more tears, no more mental health struggles, no more, no more of the, the burdens and the anxieties and the fears that we carry. It, it, we're just free to enjoy life the way God intended. You know, Paul uh, writes that it was better by, it's better by far to go and be with Christ. In other words, death is not the worst thing that can happen. <laughs> Going to be with Jesus is far better than living in this world. And that's why we don't have to fear death as followers of Jesus. The best is yet to come, and death is just a, a doorway into that reality. And that brings me to my final point. I'll just cover this quickly, that, that death doesn't have the final word. And that's why, you know, in, this, in the face of this horrible loss with my dad, I, I can still rejoice. I can still give thanks because death doesn't mean the end with him. It means see you later. It doesn't mean permanent separation. It means there's going to be a day when we will meet again. And Paul puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians 13. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So it's not that death doesn't sting anymore. It's not that it doesn't hurt. Oh, I mean, as I've been feeling over the last few months, as I'm sure many of you experienced, it hurts. It hurts for us who have been left behind. It's not that we don't grieve as believers. We do grieve, absolutely. We grieve over the loss. We grieve over the things, the things that we would have had and the, the future that we were looking forward to with that person. So there's grief. But we don't grieve as people with no hope. We grieve our loss in this life, but, but we don't grieve as people of no hope. That, that's like, well, I'll never interact with that person again. I'll never see them again. And that makes all the difference. I can't imagine navigating the last few months without this hope. I, I just can't imagine it just being like, well, that's the end. I'll never interact with my dad again. <laughs> This isn't just wishful thinking. You know, as Paul says there in verse 14, you know, we believe this because we believe this because Jesus died and was raised to life again. I mean, it's the his death and resurrection that we're staking everything on. That's the reason for this hope that we have. As I've said before, when somebody predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, I'm just gonna go along with anything he says. And Jesus promised us. He said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. There's, what awaits us in heaven is beyond what we can ask or think. And then he tells us that the last part there, I love it, he says, encourage each other with these words. <laughs> That's what I'm doing this morning. I just want to encourage you that if the worst should happen, 
and, and a loved one dies or, or we die, it's really not the worst that can happen. Actually, we go to be with Jesus, and this is our hope. And, and, and no matter what happens with COVID moving forward, we don't have to live in fear. We can live in hope because ultimately this world is not our home. Our home is with God in heaven. That is good news, and I just hope that that encourages you today, that we have this great hope, and this is a place of celebration and, and rejoicing when we come and when we worship and when we spend time with God. There's just this place of gratitude that we can start from because we have this great hope. So as I close today, I just want to you know, I think there's different responses that we have depending on where you're at. I mean, there might be some people here who are hanging on to that why question, and you're demanding an answer from God, and, you're, and, and really it's like, I'm not going to trust you, God, until you tell me why this happened. And maybe today your act of faith is just to simply surrender that demand to God and say, okay, I'm not going to ask for the why anymore. I'm just going to trust in you. Or maybe... You're someone who's, who's experiencing loss right now, and you need comfort. You need God to draw near. Paul talks about God comforting us. And I want to encourage you to just invite Jesus to come into this place. Remember, he's a man that's been acquainted with the deepest grief he understands. Invite him into your place of grief. Help, ask him to help you enter into this process of grieving. Or maybe you're here this morning and you just need to, you realize, you know what, I've just been completely focused on this world and all that this world is about, and I need to start shift and start living my life in the light of eternity. So let's just take a moment, let's bow our heads, and let's just be still before the Lord for a minute. And I just want you in your own heart to just do business with God, and then I'll conclude in prayer. Father, Lord, we are so thankful that we have a hope beyond this life, that no matter what we face in this world, no matter um, what hardships we experience, Lord, that this world is not our home, that ultimately what you have made possible through the death and resurrection of your son is that we can experience life as you intended it, life to the full. God, we are so thankful for that. 
We're so thankful for this hope that you've given us. And Lord, for every person listening this morning here and online, Lord, I pray that you would meet with them in their place. Uh, If they're experiencing loss, Lord, I pray that they would know your comfort. If they've been in that place of just demanding an answer and saying, Lord, I, I, I need you to explain to me why this happened, Lord, I pray for the grace to surrender those things today. And Lord, for those who are just, we've become preoccupied with the things of this world, Lord, I ask that we would lift, you would help us lift our eyes to heaven and, and, and live with uh, eternity in mind. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for redeeming us. We thank you for ransoming us. We thank you, Lord, that that when that day comes for all of us, we are going to be face to face with you. So Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for your goodness to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And one last thing I'm going to say before Ian comes and concludes the service is just if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have that hope in your heart already, I would love to talk with you and I'll be available after the service. Uh, uh, we can't do the normal like altar call thing but because uh, of COVID, but I'll be outside and I would love to talk to you. And if you have questions, if you want to know more, or if you want to pray and commit your life, surrender your life to Jesus, I would love to talk to you uh, at the conclusion of the service. Amen. All right, thanks for, thanks for going with me to the house of mourning this morning. Uh, that rhymes. <laughs> Ian, come on up. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.